Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Double Down, a WNBA podcast. My name is Eric Nemchok, alongside Stephen Trinkwald, and today we're going to be doing an overview of the Indiana Fever. Stephen, the Indiana Fever went 13-21 and 21 in 2019. Got a little bit better compared to the past few seasons, but they still missed the playoffs, finished in ninth place. Net rating, ninth, negative 3.4. Their offense was okay-ish. They were like seventh in the league, 98.6 points scored per 100 possessions. But defense, not good at all. 11th, uh, allowed 101.9 points per 100 possessions. Where do you start with this team? Let's start with the offense. I think it'll be a little bit more fun maybe to talk about. Um, I think there is a lot more room to kind of explore there. Hopefully there's some stuff uh, maybe that will will improve. You know, I think defensively they'll improve as well. But let's start with the offense. Where do you want to kind of go from there? Let's let's talk about their roster as a whole because they're missing a pretty big part of their offense last year in Victoria Vivians. To me, the offense for the Fever just seemed, I don't know, it, it seemed extremely, I don't want to say boring because I don't think that's really fair, but uh, it was quite limited. I think it was boring, to be honest. You know, they <laughs> I feel like they didn't really run a lot of creative stuff. They were not a very efficient offense. Obviously, they were fourth worst in effective field goal and true shooting percentage. Uh, so, you know, a little bit worse in those categories than their overall offensive ranking. They were eighth in transition frequency. So, you know, not terrible, but they were 11th in, in spot-up efficiency, but second in frequency. And what that kind of tells me is that opposing defenses like really challenged them to to beat them from the outside and dared, you know, some of their more limited shooters to kind of break the defense that way. But even so, they were, you know, still 11th in, in three-point attempt rate. And that's something we'll kind of get to shortly with like their their shot profile over the course of the season. Yeah, that's that's something that really stood out to me as well as the uh, disparity between spot-up efficiency and spot-up percentage, like like how often they were they're spotting up. Um, you know, one thing that really that I, I think was kind of funny in May and June, they were actually the second best offense in the league. Which I think, I mean, watching it develop over the course of the season, it was quite apparent that that was unsustainable. Um, then, like July and September, they fell to the eighth best offense. But I just thought it was interesting that, the, that their offensive rating actually declined as the season went on. Now, to be fair, they did have a pretty easy schedule early on. And one thing I want to hit on that's, that really stands out to me, Indiana Fever won a combined 7-1 and one against New York, Dallas, and Atlanta, the other three teams that missed the playoffs. That means they won a combined 5-20 and 20 against playoff teams. They're kind of, they, so they're kind of like the best of the rest, if you will. So you're right. The offense, it just wasn't, it just wasn't sustainable for, for a long period of time, and it wasn't sustainable against good teams. Why don't you think it was successful against good defenses? Well, you know, I think that statistic that you provided, you know, their record against good teams as opposed to bad teams, you know, they beat the teams that they were supposed to beat, and they were probably, you know, the ninth best team in the league in from like a talent standpoint. So, you know, obviously you, you kind of hope they steal a few more games from, from teams that were better than them, but to be able to go, what was it that you said, seven and one against kind of the rest of the yeah. bottom dwellers there, that in a way is encouraging. Sure. And the future is bright for this team, I would say. Uh, there aren't as many, you know, they didn't have a very exciting offseason. <laughs> like the, uh, I, I believe this, for this show, we're going to be talking not very much about their additions and departures simply because there weren't many. Um, they did hire a new head coach. Pokey Chapman is out. Marianne Stanley is in. 
Mary Ann Stanley, of course, was the coach of the Washington Mystics back in the day. Uh, in 2002, she won Coach of the Year. But then after 2003, she was out. Uh, she bounced around the league as an assistant for a few teams. But then she went back to Washington in 2010. Of course, won a championship with them as an assistant last season. Tamika Ketchings, you might have heard of her. She's now the vice president of basketball operations and general manager as well. So the Fever, they've got a new regime. And hopefully they've, they can build upon this core that, you know, Pokey Chapman started with. They've got some impressive young talent, I would say, again. Well, but before we kind of really dive into the specific players themselves, could you tell us a little bit about their shot profile from last season? Okay, so your shot profile was not good. Um, it needs to be modernized. When I was looking at this, it, my jaw just dropped. According to Paul Swanson of Lynx Data, 25.8% of the Fever's shots came from 16 to 21 feet. The league average was 17.4%. That's an absurd number. Like, when we talk about long two-pointers, we, we can get into this later, but just so many of their players either settled or created offense for long two-point jumpers. I was, you know, Candice Dupree, that's been her game for a while. Uh, she led the league in total shots from 16 to 21 feet, but I think that doesn't really concern me as much as how many shots from that range that their guards took. But again, 24.4% of their shots came from three-point range, which was second to last in the league. They, they took fewer three-pointers than they did long two-pointers. They are the only team in the WNBA to do that. I think that is a major clue as to why this offense was so limited. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. That, And I think that's something that's going to improve this season. You know, you mentioned Victoria Vivians. That's going to help. I think hopefully Kelsey Mitchell, her role will be a little bit different this year than it was in 2019. But to kind of build off what you were saying in terms of their shot profile, you know, they were fifth in frequency in terms of shots within five feet. So, you know, right around the basket, but they really had trouble finishing there. They were 10th in field goal percentage. Uh, from that area, from right around the rim. And really, you know, their only plus finishers for their position were uh, the aforementioned Candace Dupree, who, as I'm sure many of our listeners could guess, did not take a huge percentage of her shots from that range, only about 17%. Natalie Achanwa had a pretty respectable percentage for a center and did take a, a pretty healthy amount of her shots from that area, but was overall just a fairly low usage player, so still just not a ton of volume. And then Benaja Laney, was okay finishing for a wing, but again, not one of their players who really got there frequently. So the players who were able to sort of finish well never really got there, and the players who, who got there a little bit more just kind of were not plus finishers around the basket. Yeah, so obviously their shot profile wasn't great. Their percentages at the rim weren't great. So it makes sense as to why their offense wasn't that spectacular. Although, like we said before, it's going to be it was better than, relatively speaking, than their defense, but we'll get into that. But there were some bright spots on offense, I think. you got to start with Erica Wheeler. Everyone, everyone knows now she's, she was undrafted. She's one of the best stories in the league. She was all-star MVP this season. Stephen, would you think it's fair to say that Erica Wheeler maybe kind of caught lightning in a bottle with her shooting this season? I mean, I hope that's not the case, but I am afraid that it is the case. There's like this sneaking suspicion that we maybe have seen the best season that we're going to get out of Erica Wheeler in the WNBA. Her shooting numbers were, were pretty lights out. I mean, she had never really played at this kind of level in, in the W before. So, you know, I guess the one encouraging thing we look at her past performance is that, you know, the two seasons where she really had appreciable volume from three-point range also resulted in her best seasons uh, from a percentage standpoint. So, 
you know, hopefully as she continues to be a big part of this offense, the shot continues to fall for her. And, you know, she's a, a really good defender at the point of attack and guarding off ball. But what you said, lightning in a bottle, I think maybe last year was the best season we're going to get out of Erica Wheeler. And I think this team maybe still needs to look to invest in their primary ball handler of the future. Primary ball handler of, of the future. That sounds interesting. Do you want to talk about Kelsey Mitchell? I like talking about Kelsey Mitchell. Yeah, I, let's let's do it. I mean, Kelsey Mitchell, there's a lot to say about her. Uh, one thing that I won't say about her is that she is this team's primary ball handler of the future. You know, I think she is better as an off guard and should probably play most of her minutes alongside another primary creator. But, you know, she was pretty good last year. Uh, she led the league in, in total three-point attempts over the course of the season and still managed to make a very respectable 38% was in the 98th percentile in catch-and-shoot attempts, 84th percentile in guarded attempts, and in the 100th percentile, the very best in the league in unguarded catch-and-shoot opportunities. So, you know, her jump shot overall, she has a very quick release. Most of her opportunities, I think, were kind of catch-and-shoot spot-up opportunities or, you know, either playing the pick-and-roll or just kind of dribble pull-ups. So I think there's more opportunities to kind of diversify her jump shot, I'll say. Okay, so you're you're saying maybe maybe eliminate that pull-up jumper because I know she took a lot of those last season. I mean, she didn't hit them at a good percentage, but it's not even so much that I want those to be eliminated. It's just that, you know, she was not effective coming off screens last season, but was also given very little opportunity to do so. And I don't think there's really anything sort of fundamental about her jump shot to where she wouldn't be able to do that successfully. So I think, you know, overall as a team, Indiana was far and away last in the league in terms of frequency of coming off screens. And that's something especially when you have a Kelsey Mitchell that you kind of want to incorporate that more into your offense. And, you know, one other thing I'd like to see her do more is just use herself as a screener in all the shots last season. You can count on one hand, the number of times she freed herself by setting a screen for someone else. And, you know, that's just kind of low hanging fruit for a shooter like Kelsey Mitchell to attract defense to a cutting player that was freed up by a screen and get yourself open that way. So I just would like to see a little bit more creativity as we kind of alluded to earlier, primarily with Kelsey Mitchell and sort of off ball action. Okay. That's an astute observation for sure. Now it's just my two cents here. Uh, Everyone who's listening and who knows me even a little bit knows I'm a tremendous Kelsey Mitchell fan and I'm still on the bandwagon. So no questions about that. I I think Steven, I I feel like, People look at, you know, the shots that Kelsey Mitchell takes and, you know, maybe her shooting percentage and they say, well, she needs to stop chucking or she needs to take better shots or something like that. But when when you mentioned that she was first in the league in spot-up uh, efficiency or catch-and-shoot free, uh, efficiency, rather, that's that was super encouraging because, in my opinion, there's, there's no real reason why Kelsey Mitchell shouldn't become an all-star caliber player just because she has that very quick release and because she is such a deadly shooter. And we're not just talking like three point range. We're talking like two, three feet behind the line range. And like, I looked at some of the on on off stats, which I know can be kind of noisy, but I don't think there's any coincidence about this. Uh, The fever scored 99.8 points per hundred possessions with Kelsey on the court, 91.7 points per hundred possessions when she was off the court. That's a difference of 8.1 points per hundred possessions. So the offense is going to be better with Kelsey Mitchell on the court just because of that range. And I think she does have better playmaking ability in her than what she's shown. One thing I do need to see from her, though, is just being better at the rim. Because, like, you know she can get to the rim, and you know she's got that – she's not a slightly built point guard. Like, she's got that athletic and, and strong body. But you, you kind of have something in your notes here about her, I don't know, maybe not finishing that strongly. 
Yeah. So, you know, she got to around the rim about 21% of her attempts. So, you know, not amazing. We'd like to see that go up. And, and she only finished less than 50% from that area. And, you know, she is able to kind of, or willing, I should say, to go both ways. You know, she'll try to finish with both hands and, and that's great. And she, you know, finishes with the right hand pretty well for a left-handed player. Um, but I do think she has to be more willing to go up strong and use her body down there. You know, those scoop shots that she likes so much, and she's pretty good at those, but those are kind of more effective when you've sort of already gotten by your defender and the help is either late or your defender is the one that kind of has the quickness to sort of recover and you just kind of want to get it up there before they get back to you. You know, if the starting center is sort of already in position at the rim, you've got to be able to just go up there and get challenged and not try to just throw something up quickly. And, you know, that kind of leads me to my next point, which I think might be a little bit of a limiting factor in her efficiency. You know, she just has to get to the free throw line more uh, as well as increase her three-point attempt rate. You know, I did mention that she took the highest total number of three-point attempts in the league, but, you know, her three-point attempt rate was sub 50%. So I think between just getting all the way to the rim more, going up stronger and and trying to just challenge those bigs when she gets there and just turning some of those long twos into three-pointers, that's sort of the path that I see for her to become, you know, right around an average offensive efficiency player to, you know, a well above average one. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. And if I can just continue a little bit kind of before you get started on your next point, you had mentioned that you think she is a a better playmaker than she's maybe shown so far in the W, but I think this is kind of her level as a, a playmaker. You know, she is a good passer, but probably not suited to run an offense full time. You know, I think she is better off kind of playing alongside somebody who can really create for others a little bit more and, and Kelsey can focus more scoring for herself and being like a secondary creator. So I want to make, uh, make a point here about that. One of the reasons why I say I think she's a better playmaker than she's shown is because the other perimeter players on this team were just not that good last season. And they didn't really have very high ceiling scoring ability. There weren't a lot of three-point shooters on this team, so the floor was kind of not spaced that great. Yeah, let's, and this is... Let's get into that. Well, I was just going to say, and this is sort of like a, a very rudimentary point to make, but you consider like the dichotomy of when Erica Wheeler is the one creating with the ball in her hand. You know, she has Kelsey Mitchell spacing the floor for her. And Kelsey Mitchell is obviously a very good three-point shooter. And so when it's Kelsey with the ball in her hand, you know, the spacing around her, it's not as good because she's Kelsey Mitchell. And, you know, there's nobody of a Kelsey Mitchell type being guarded off the ball when she has the ball in her hand. Which is kind of why we, we alluded to Victoria Vivian's absence being so huge for this team last season. Yeah, for sure. So let's hope that she's able to provide at least the shooting that she did in her her rookie season but and I guess now is as good a time as any to get into this but you had a projected depth chart in here that did not include Kelsey Mitchell and I know that you are you know perhaps maybe the the world's biggest Kelsey Mitchell fan so you know I just think she has to start for this team why do you say that well you know as we've talked about at length she was their best and you know arguably only shooter last season but she's a way better fit alongside Erica Wheeler than than Tiffany Mitchell, who you kind of have slotted to start, I think largely due to the contract that she received in the offseason. And it's just too easy to shrink the floor with both Wheeler and Tiffany Mitchell on the floor together. So as you mentioned before, on-off statistics are definitely noisy, but Kelsey Mitchell and Erica Wheeler together with Tiffany Mitchell off, 104 offensive rating. That's pretty good. Yeah, Kelsey Mitchell and Tiffany Mitchell on the floor together, Erica Wheeler off, 105.5 offensive rating. Pretty good. Erica Wheeler on, Tiffany Mitchell on, Kelsey Mitchell off, 94.5 offensive rating. So 
this team just cannot score the basketball if Kelsey Mitchell is not in the game. And besides her being a better fit with Erica Wheeler than Tiffany Mitchell, she's just a better player. Like she is more well-respected as an offensive, as a floor spacer, you know, she can just do more. You know, Tiffany Mitchell gets to the rim a little bit better, is probably a little bit stronger with the basketball, but you know, Kelsey's just a better player and a more efficient offensive player. And I think she's got the higher ceiling as well. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Now the reason, I mean, it wasn't all about the contract when I kind of slotted Tiffany Mitchell in there as a starter. Yes, she is going to be the highest paid player on this team, which is incredible to me, uh, but also because it's, it's just what they've been doing over the past few seasons. But now that I think about it, I mean, they went 28 and 74 in the past few seasons. Not good. And uh, they also have, like I said, they have a new coach now. Maybe they're going to be looking to try something else. I mean, if you go 28 and 74 over three seasons, I think you should be looking to try something else. I think the ceiling for this team is much more limited with Tiffany Mitchell than it is with Kelsey Mitchell. Not saying that Tiffany Mitchell can't do some things, but you know, maybe this, maybe the status quo is not such a good thing to be chasing in this instance. So, but going off of that, you know, like I said, Tiffany Mitchell, but Nigel Laney in particular, there were always wings on the floor that were just not that good, especially from the outside. And that really limited what this team could do. Yeah, I mean, there were never there was never a floor full of offensive threats, I guess. And, you know, some of their better offensive players, not their best offensive players like Wheeler and, and Mitchell, but even, you know, that kind of next year down for this team, Candace Dupree, Natalie Chanwa, you know, those are players that are living in the mid-range largely, Dupree particularly. So, you know, it was just a, a really easy offense to to help and recover on. Now, one thing that isn't really easy to uh, defend, and that's Tierra McCowan. She came on very strong at the end of the season. If you just look at her, there's, she's going to create some problems. She's six foot seven, enormous wingspan. Pokey Chapman mentioned several times her gravity in the pick and roll is just something that's, that a lot of other players just can't physically match. Well, overall, what, what did you think of McCowan's rookie season? I think it was, and this is the point, a lot of people were saying she should have been starting from the beginning. I disagree with that because just because, you know, her weaknesses, like you think, you, you think it's here McCowan and it's not, she's not tremendously mobile. I mean, she's, 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 she can move her feet a little bit from, for being a player of her size, but you know, she's going to need all post players coming to WNBA needing to learn how to defend ball screen action. And Tier McCowan's no different. Although she did do a little bit of hedging and showing at Mississippi state, but like, again, you're not going to come into the WNBA and have that down completely pat. And also just getting a feel to her new offensive role. You know, it wasn't just dump the ball down into the post every single possession. You know, you got to set screens up high. You got to roll to the basket. You have to know how to uh, set screens off the ball as well. So I think she got better as the season went on. You know, I, but then towards the end of the season, I mean, she was just, there was the game when they beat the Las Vegas Aces at home and she just totally dominated Liz Cambage. That was super impressive to me. She still got some work to do. I think she needs like a legitimate post move or like a legitimate offensive move to go to other than just a drop step because you know sometimes because you know, defenses are going to adjust and they're going to take that away and make life more difficult for her there's there's no doubt about that so she's going to have to figure out how to best use her size maybe a little more gracefully I want to say like that because she's not like the most coordinated player but as a, as a raw talent it's to me pretty undeniable that Tier McCowan is going places and the team was better with her on the floor, especially in, in offensive rebounding. I mean, that's not really a surprise, but she was first in the league in offensive rebounding percentage. That's not a fluke. She's, she's pretty high up there in free throw rate as well. Probably not a fluke. So I was really impressed. How about you? Yeah, there was one thing that you mentioned somewhere along there, and that's kind of like her, her screening game. That's something I really kind of want to see her improve on. Was not super impressed 
with her as a screener, particularly away from the ball. You know, I think she did kind of a lot of just like standing around when, when it wasn't her turn to get that post up down low. But, you know, that's if she can just be a, a dominant player, you know, as much as I would love to kind of see that stuff, it, it won't really matter, right? You mentioned it. She led the league in offensive rebound percentage, also led the league in defensive rebound percentage. Uh, Sylvia Fowles did that in 2018, and that was the only other instance of a player leading both categories in this decade. So just a completely dominant force on the glass. And Indy was a much better rebounding team with her on the court. So it's not really an instance of just kind of like empty stats where she's getting her own boards, but you know, the team itself is, is actually, you know, a worse rebounding team with her on the court. You know, that's not the case here. And you mentioned this as well, you know, she actually had the highest free throw attempt rate among all qualified players. The only real rotation player that was above her was Maria Vidiva, who played like less than 200 minutes last season. So a 652 free throw attempt rate, that's just insane. As long as she can hit even 75% of those moving forward, you know, she's going to be a dominant player if she's able to keep that up. And she didn't have amazing numbers around the rim, only 56% from within five feet, but she took 83% of her shots there. So between that and her superhero level of being able to get to the free throw line, she's going to produce well above average efficiency for an offensive player. And, you know, I think it's kind of just how she's able to improve defensively. You know, is she able to get a little bit more fluid? Is she able to kind of pick up the technique of pick and roll defense? And, and of course, you know, as you mentioned, she does need to kind of polish her offensive game a little bit. Some increased touch would be great around the basket. But, you know, I think she's this team's best chance at, at a, a top 10 player, but a long way to go, to be sure. A long way to go, but there are, there are definitely some, I mean, leading the league in both offensive rebounding percentage and free throw rate in your rookie season, that's awfully encouraging, I would say. Um, now, you mentioned defense. She is obviously a already a very good rim protector, but she does need to kind of get those angles down a little bit, get the pick and roll defense down a little bit. The Fever were not a good defensive team last year by any stretch of the imagination. I think McCowan kind of changes some things even if like she's just on the floor and she has absolutely no idea what's going on she still changes some things just because of her size and her length and her ability to deter shots at the rim what does she need to do better on defense and how can the team improve defensively from where they were last year which was 11th well just kind of overall from from sort of what happened last year you know they were just kind of in the middle of the road in terms of three-point attempt rate allowed and free throw attempt rate allowed but I think they maybe did suffer from some bad luck in terms of opponent shooting because they did allow the highest or, or tied for the highest, depending on you know where you're getting your numbers from, but the highest uh, three-point percentage in the league. So, so some bad luck shooting. Uh, they also allowed the fifth highest frequency in terms of their field goal attempts within five feet, but they were best in the league in terms of the field goal percentage allowed there. So obviously McCowan is doing something right when, when she's in the area, but even if you're allowing league best percentages you know if you're still allowing that high a frequency you know it's whatever percentage that is you know the low 50s that's still a considerably higher percentage than pretty much anywhere else on the court so you, you gotta you know work on being more of a deterrent even if you are you know defending it pretty well once it gets there and you know I think a lot of that is probably the minutes that McCowan wasn't on the floor uh, obviously Natalie Chanwa not an amazing rim protector by any means there are other center options when Achanwa was out, not necessarily known for their defensive prowess around the rim. But I think just for McCowan, it's it's a lot of recognition, a lot of fluidity as an athlete, being able to kind of, you know, recover a little bit, just kind of knowing help principles a, a little bit more are, are going to go a long way. Okay, but one player doesn't make a defense uh, in any instance. 
one thing about this defense last year is that there just weren't a lot of really good defenders on the roster. I mean, you mentioned Erica Wheeler was pretty good, I think. But Nigel Laney, I mean, that's the reason she was out there. It certainly wasn't for her offense. She was, I think, acceptable on defense. Not a lot of playmaking out there, though. Yeah, and, you know, Laney probably a little overmatched as, like, your team's go-to wing defender. You know, I do think she's probably a plus defender, but, you know, you mentioned one player doesn't make a defense, but if there is a player that makes a defense, it's having a dominant center, right? So you you hope that as maybe Kennedy Burke continues to get minutes on this team, you know, she can bring with her a little bit of defensive playmaking, maybe sort of their best perimeter option in terms of playmaking on defense. That along with Wheeler continuing to do what she does and McCowan, hopefully improving to, you know, somewhere near her ceiling. That's sort of the path to a defense. And, you know, I'm higher on this team as an offensive team to be sure, but, you know, where they were as a defense obviously was just so much lower than where they are as an offense. So I think the leap will really come from defense when they kind of finally make that contending leap. I feel like we're just doing a repeat of our Dallas recap. Yeah, you know, they, they, I like them a lot better on offense than I do on defense, but you're right. I mean, just their their potential on offense is a lot more, intriguing exciting i want to say but speaking of dallas and speaking of kennedy burke um this is something i kind of want to talk about for a second she was drafted in the second round last season by dallas did not make the team indiana scooped her up immediately and i thought she brought some good reps i've been a kennedy burke fan so I, i say on twitter you know kennedy burke hive i think i'm like the only member of that hive but it's all good you know i'm willing to die on this hill i think she's got the potential to be a pretty good defender in this league just because of her wingspan she does, I feel like, have some good anticipation and playmaking ability off the ball. Offensively, maybe a bit limited, but I really like what I saw in, in limited minutes from Kennedy last season. Yeah, I mean, defensively, like, you better not throw a lazy pass around Kennedy Burke because she's just going to take it to the house the other way. You know, she got into passing lanes really well. You know, a 2.2 steal rate is not amazing, but it's definitely above average, and, and I would expect her to continue to be, you know, creating turnovers defensively as she gets more minutes. But yeah, as you said, offense is kind of maybe where her ceiling comes into question. But I think for sure, you know, she, um, she she's going to have a role. And I hope she plays on this team. You know, I, I hope she gets minutes over Benajah Laney. I think she just has a higher ceiling. You know, she doesn't take much more off the table offensively. Um, and I think her ceiling as a defensive player is, is just higher. You know, she has plus size, plus length, plus athleticism for a wing. Can take it off the bounce a little bit. You know, she she made 40% of her threes last year on a pretty small sample size, but I definitely have some questions about the sustainability of her shooting. What do you think of her as an offensive player? I mean, I totally agree with that. Her three-point shot just doesn't look good, like mechanically speaking. Although she does have, I mean, you mentioned, we were kind of arguing about this off air. Like, how tall is Kennedy Burke? I think we agree that she's six foot one, which is which is good. I mean, like like you said, she's she's got all the physical tools to be to keep herself on the floor. She needs to become an off- a consistent outside shooter, though. And with that form, I mean... I'm not sold, but you know, I mean, she, she, I feel like she can also, maybe you could punch it down there, down there in the post if she's got like a really small guard on her. So I think there's some potential there for improvement. Her offensive ceiling isn't as high as her defensive ceiling for sure. But I agree with you. I think she's got a solid role to play on this team and she does have some room, room to grow. And if I could just maybe get into a little bit of why I don't necessarily believe in the shooting. You know, she did make 40% last year, as I mentioned, on on pretty small volume, but she wasn't an amazing shooter in college by any means. She hasn't been an amazing free throw shooter in the W or in college, you know, was a really poor shooter from the mid-range. 
you had mentioned her form as you're kind of saying, I think she has pretty shaky mechanics. You know, she shoots really far out in front of her body. Her footwork is, is pretty inconsistent. Um, I think she maybe relies on her upper body too much, you know, doesn't get enough legs in her shot with, with that shaky footwork. So even if the jump shot does come along and prove to be, you know, a reliable standstill three point shooter, you know, I don't think she's ever going to have like a particularly versatile jump shot where she might be coming off screens or catching it right as she gets her feet set. You know, I think her ceiling as a floor spacer will be sort of a standstill three-point shooter. And then, you know, she does have the athleticism to attack closeouts there. But on offense, I really loved her like floor game. You know, she has a really great feel for cutting and finding seams. And, you know, she's not a great finisher over traffic, only around 48% from within five feet. But she is really good at just like getting herself open looks down there with her cutting. So I, I was a little surprised to see how poor her transition numbers were, but you know, I think that'll go up as she gets some more experience in the league. Uh, there is a player who they have on this roster who may have people may have forgotten about who does have a versatile jump shot. That's Victoria Vivians. She, of course, she injured her knee playing in Israel after her rookie season, which is really a shame because she's another player who kind of came on strong at the end of her rookie season in 2018 in which she was, in the 85th percentile and spotting up and 91st percentile on catch and shoot. So those numbers alone really speak for themselves, especially relative to the rest of the shooting numbers for the wings on this team. Victoria Vivians to me strikes me as the X factor for this team's level of success next season, because she is besides Kelsey Mitchell, like their only reliable, really reliable three point shooter, depending on if you think Erica Wheeler's shooting numbers are going to regress, which I think they will. But yeah, just Steven looking at Victoria Vivians numbers and, rookie season and what she can maybe bring to the fever. Are you high on her or no? Well, I'm definitely high on her role. You know, it kind of remains to be seen. I think a lot of times, you know, coming off an ACL, the jump shot is one of the last things to sort of come around. Can't get your legs quite under you as much and it'll just fall short a little bit, but she's going to have to make shots. You know, as you were saying, her and Kelsey Mitchell are the only real three-point threats of their sort of three- Small forwards, Vivians, Laney, and Kennedy Burke. How would you rank those in terms of how much playing time each of them should get next year? Well, I think Vivian should be starting easily. I mean, she's, I want to say if she's healthy, but I'm just going to say she will be healthy because with all this extra time off, I mean, there's no reason why she shouldn't be, I don't think. Um, And just because she brings such a complete offensive package compared to the other two players. And then if you look at the barren wasteland of three-point shooting that is this team, you need to play her even if she's really not making shots, you know, just, just because of the, the floor spacing and, you know, what teams respect her on defense. Um, so she has to get the most playing time for sure. I want to say Kennedy Burke should get more playing time than Benajah Laney. I do agree with you that I think she has a higher ceiling, but you know, like she's, she's younger. She doesn't have as many reps. I don't know what this coaching staff is going to do as far as, you know, continuing to develop their players and, and playing low ceiling players, you know, just, just for, for veterans' sake. And, you know, like they said, like Benajah Lenny, they obviously value her a lot because they were able to get her for multiple years as an extension for a pretty cheap deal. So I don't want to say she's not going to get any playing time, but I think towards the end of the season, I want to see Kennedy Burke move as Victoria Vivian's backup player. Benajah Lenny, you know, she's a, a real solid vet, but I'm not sure there are many players in the league who sort of exemplify you know, shrinking the floor on offense yeah. like Benajah Laney does. Like she just does not get guarded out there. Like they will play, you know, the the other side of the court if she's standing on the three-point line. Like, so she is a positive on, on defense and I think she kind of does take away a lot on offense as well. So it's tough to kind of go from the starting small forward all season to the third string the following season. 
but that's in my opinion probably what should happen for for Lainey. It's not like she really has the feel for cutting that Kennedy Burke does. You know, she doesn't really have the off the bounce game that Kennedy Burke does. So, you know, again, Burke's sample size is extremely small and Lainey's been around the league for a while now, but while you're still in the middle of a rebuild, you know, I think let Kennedy Burke get the majority of those minutes as the backup wing. What what do you think this team is going to be good at next year? Well, I think they'll be able to rebound the basketball because of Tierra McCowan. Not sold on, honestly, I don't know if they're going to be good at anything else besides rebounding it. Is there anything that strikes you about like a real strength this team has? Um, yeah, I mean, just kind of overall paint presence. McCowan's ability to rebound, to be sure. Um, her ability to get to the free throw line. Obviously, just getting the other team in the bonus is like a huge advantage that that you have. I hope that that there'll be a pretty good pick and roll offense, you know, with increased spacing in the offense with Vivian's back with Kelsey Mitchell on the floor, you know, Wheeler, the two Mitchells, they're pretty good, like pick and roll initiators. So hopefully Vivian's increased spacing and, you know, depending on kind of where Lauren Cox is positioned as an offensive player, I, I think that could be a good strength for them. And I also think this team has pretty good depth. Like they're not going to play any players that are not WNBA rotation players, you know, Tiffany Mitchell, Candice Dupree, Kennedy Burke, or Laney, Natalie Chanwa, you know, those are pretty good bench players. How about in terms of where they might struggle? Again, I have to go back to the three-point shooting. Because like if, like I said, if, if Vivian's does not have a good year shooting the basketball, then you basically have Kelsey Mitchell shooting and that's it. That's not going to get it done as far as floor spacing and just efficient offensive play goes. I mean, what, what, what you said about, about pick and roll, I think... The other thing that's going to help them is Tier McCown rolling to the basket instead of Natalie Chanwa popping out for long two-pointers. Sure. That's the other part of a pick-and-roll. Like, you got to have a, a good pick-and-roll target. And Tier McCown, like, she's, she's enormous, right? So she's going to make an easier pick-and-roll target, especially on you know, getting the free-throw line. And if she misses, she's just going to get her own offensive rebound. But, yeah, as far as struggles, um, I can't see their, off, their off-season moves, the few moves that they made, being um, really addressing those that much besides Vivian's coming back. It remains to be seen, like, what, which players they bring in. Like, maybe if Kathleen Doyle, if, if she gets any minutes, if she can shoot from the outside, if Julie Alleman can, can get any minutes, I'm not sure if she will. Or if, like you said, if Lauren Cox, if they're able to turn her into a stretch four or stretch five. Like, she took five threes for senior year at Baylor, so I don't, I don't think that's something that can, that can just be brought out immediately. Yeah, you know, the, the floor spacing, I, they don't seem like, again, a very solid playmaking team to me, at least as far as – you know, making, creating shots for themselves in isolation or when the offense breaks down or whatever. Kelsey Mitchell can create offense. Tiffany Mitchell can create some offense. Vivians can create some offense. Wheeler can create some, but I mean, they're missing like a, like a, like a go-to horse as far as shot creation goes. Yeah, to be sure. Uh, I think you're right there. I think this team is also going to struggle with passing. You know, I was, I was thinking about it. Could this be like the worst passing team in the league? I'm struggling to think who their high leverage passes are, who are, are really kind of creating advantage opportunities for teammates they were the second lowest in assist percentage last season and i'm not sure i really see a path to that improving much in 2020 well you got to make a shot to get an assist though but and then also for assist percentage like are they going to run a different type of offense under a new coaching staff as well yeah hopefully there's just more like institutional passing right more just kind of ball and body movement um defending star fours i I think could be a struggle for them you know we'll, we'll see what they get out of their rookie but you know candace dupree you know, she's a solid vet, but I, that, that might be an area of opportunity for them. Uh, I think they might put opponents at the free throw line a little bit more um, than they did last year with McCowan playing a larger role. And then just getting 
to the rim and finishing at the rim, you know, I think that's going to continue to be a struggle for them. Can I ask you some questions about sort of the, the young players here? Please do. Uh, this was a question I asked you last week. Which players on this roster will be a significant part of the next good Fever team? Okay, and, and I see you have a kind of a qualifier here, uh, hosting a second-round game. So we Yeah, were, I think that's what qualifies is like yeah, a, yeah, okay. a, a pretty good team. Like, Sure. I think this one is pretty straightforward. I think Kelsey Mitchell will be on the team. I think Tierra McCown will be on the team. There's, there's no question in my mind about that one. They need Tierra McCown to be a star player for them. Lauren Cox, simply because I'm not sure how much longer Candace Dupree is going to be playing, and I think that played a big role in them choosing to draft Lauren Cox. Because, like, I was, I was thinking they might go Kennedy Carter in the draft because of, like, their, their lack of playmaking ability. But if you need, like, a power forward for the future, like Lauren Cox, that's, that's a pretty safe bet. So I think she'll be on the team. And Victoria Vivians as well, just because like, there's, there's just not a lot of shooting depth. I mean, we, we're, we're going to keep talking about this. I'm going to keep hitting on this. If the Fever are, are going to be a good team, Victoria Vivians needs to make shots, and she needs to be on the team to make shots. So those four, I think, are, are givens. I'm not sure if Erica Wheeler will be on the team or not because she's due for a payday. And I don't know, man. Do, do you think she's a player you want to invest in in the future? I would say no, personally. I, you know, we kind of talked about it before. I think we've maybe seen the best of, of what we're going to get out of her. If, if we can maybe just go on a tangent here quickly, I kind of wanted to ask, only because you brought it up, like what, what would you have thought of the Kelsey-Mitchell-Kennedy-Carter pairing? Oh, that's, I can understand. The first thing that comes to mind when I think of a Kennedy-Carter-Kelsey-Mitchell uh, Kennedy pairing is that there's only one basketball. Um, but now that we've kind of talked about Kelsey's strengths as an off-ball shooter, I think it would have been a really good pairing, to be honest with you. Maybe defense, like, it would, it would probably be a struggle bus on defense. But offensively, like, you have two extremely skilled players. And I know you don't believe in, in, in Kelsey Mitchell's playmaking as much as I do, but I think we both believe in Kennedy Carter's playmaking ability. Those two would be able to run a very dynamic offense, I feel like. And it would just open up a whole new world of possibilities for this team. Again, it would be interesting to, to get them kind of acquainted with each other in the offense, if you will. But, you know, I mean, if you put Kennedy Carter next to anybody, like, they're going to look good. So, especially an outside shooter like Kelsey Mitchell. So, that would have been fun to see. Unfortunately, Atlanta's the one who is going to get that, uh, that adventure. So, so to, to answer my own question uh, previously, you know, I kind of had the same list as you do. Uh, Kelsey Mitchell, Lauren Cox, Tierra McCowan, Victoria Vivians. Uh, I'd also put Kennedy Burke on there just because she is – you know, on a rookie contract and this team has plenty of cap space. And, you know, I do think their timeline is probably a little bit shorter than Dallas's, but, you know, probably a year or two away still to be sure. So, um, well, hang, on, hang on. What about, uh, what about players like Natalie Chandler or Stephanie Mavunga in the post? Yeah, they, they very well could be, but you know, if they also were not that, that wouldn't really surprise me either. Okay. So it could go either way with either of those players. So, so what, what level of player do you see these players most likely outcome? You know, we talked about this a little bit before. Yeah. Superstar, star, solid starter, solid rotation player, low-end rotation player. Let's start with Kelsey Mitchell. Okay. Uh, I'm saying this now. You can write this down. Kelsey Mitchell will be a star in the WNBA. I just feel like she's just got such a high ceiling as, as an offensive threat. We've already seen, you know, she's, she's got a quick release from three. She's got deep range. She's accurate. You know, she can pull up off the dribble and nail it. You can't go under the screen versus Kelsey Mitchell, which is another thing that I think separates, like, decent guards from really good guards is, is how you're going to defend them in the pick and roll. 
and I think she's just got a, a higher ceiling as a playmaker than people are giving her credit for, man. Uh, if she can get to the free throw line a little bit more or finish and or finish at the rim at a better frequency, like I said, there's no reason to think she won't be an all-star. I'm just still super high on Kelsey Mitchell and her, her ability to become a really good player. Yeah, I have her uh, as a star as well. Not sure how much she'll ever get to the line, but even if she can just get that three-point attempt rate up to around like 60% from you know 48% where it is now, I consider Allie Quigley a star player, and I think Kelsey Mitchell probably won't ever get to the level of Allie Quigley, but she can be you know a different player to be sure, but, but a, a good one. So Lauren Cox. I'm going to go with solid starter on this one. I think Lauren Cox is a very, as solid is a good word for her. She's got, I'm worried about her, her foot speed, her mobility, especially moving east to west, like defending the pick and roll and recovery defense. Um, but I think she's got good defensive mechanics. I think she's got, honestly, good offensive mechanics as well. She's just a very fundamentally sound player. For her, I think the deal is going to be, can she turn into a stretch for out to the three-point line? You mentioned it before. This team is probably going to struggle to defend star power forwards. And Lauren Cox, she just doesn't have the foot speed to keep up with the really with the, with the big time athletes at the four position, but she does have a fairly skilled offensive game. She's, she's just super dependable. I think she's not going to be a tw- uh, 2010 threat every night, but she can come in, set good solid screens, hit jumpers from just about anywhere on the floor, three point line to be determined. And I think she's just, you can plug her in and not worry about too many mistakes being made. If you put it that way. So I think she's got a pretty high floor, Ceiling, not not sure yet, but solid starter, I would say. Tier McCowan. Star, at least. We've already seen star material from her, right? With offensive rebounding, getting the free throw line. It, it seems like this is interesting because one look at Tier McCowan and you think like, wow, you know, she's not coordinated. She's la- she's really raw. She's lacking in all these areas. But if you think about uh, if she can even address one of those areas, if she can even improve to be average instincts or average off-ball screening, something like that, Put that with what she's already good at. She's already better than everybody at offensive rebounding. So it's like you're already getting so much out of her as a player who has really yet to really scratch the surface of something that's very easily addressed, I think. And that's defensive mechanics and learning a good post move or two. So I'd say star for Tierra McCown. What about you? I think I just maybe haven't seen quite enough to say superstar, but I do want to say superstar because I think the the ceiling is there. I'll go with star to be on the safe side, but if Tierra McCowan in four years is a top eight-ish player, you know, I wouldn't be shocked. She's got a lot of the tools and we'll see how she kind of develops the rest of the package. But, you know, if she's not a star player, I think I would be surprised. And that's someone who, you know, middle of the season last year, I, I wasn't super sold on Tierra McCowan. I, I kind of thought she was a little bit of a stiff, but you know, she's a, she's a force to be sure. So anything you want to add on that before I move on? No, I mean, I think, I think we've talked about Tierra McCowan enough. Uh, cool. Kennedy Burke. I see solid, solid rotation player. Not yet sold on her as a starting caliber player, just because of that shaky jump shot and limited jump shot, which you, as usual with your excellent attention to detail, pointed out like she's not going to be coming off screens or, or pulling up off the dribble. But I think she's going to give you so much on defense that you have to at least think about putting her in a starting lineup. And not just like on-ball defense, but the playmaking as well. We, we talked about it earlier. She does have the, the length and the anticipation and the ability to kind of not only get into the passing lines, but also maybe dig down at the post, be an effective double-team player. I think she's got really good instincts off the ball, both on offense and defense, to be honest. So, yeah, solid rotation player, I would say. Maybe not starting caliber, but uh, – 
especially for like a late second round pick, I don't think you can argue that this is, she's going to have a, a place in this league. Yeah, agree 100%. Um, I mean, what's stopping Kennedy Burke from being like Bria Holmes or better? And I would say Bria Holmes is a solid rotation player. Would you really? Yeah, I would say she's a solid rotation player. What'd you say? I know you've got thoughts on Bria Holmes. I mean, you know, I wouldn't want her starting for a team with championship aspirations, but I would like her coming off the bench for a team with championship aspirations, you know, and that's what a solid rotation player is. You know, they're a good sixth or seventh player. And, you know, there's no reason why Kennedy Burke can't be you know, your, your first wing off the bench. And, you know, maybe if she really has it going from three, finish some games and really kind of put a lot of pressure on the opposing team in the minutes that she's in there. Well, and, and to add on to that, one thing that I just kind of, just, just kind of came to me, she's got a very versatile defensive game too. You can run like a switching defense, like one through four and not be that concerned about leaving her on like, I mean, obviously it's, you're not going to want to leave her on an Island against like an Asia Wilson or somebody like that. But she can at least guard three positions, and that's that's already a, that's already a valuable asset in itself. Yeah, she was the primary defender on Chelsea Gray for a late game when they were. It was a must-win game for them to keep their playoff hopes alive, and she was the one guarding, you know, LA's superstar point guard. So yeah, so yeah, we were both sold on Kennedy Burke. Kennedy Burke hide forever. Uh, Victoria Vivians. So Victoria Vivians, I'm going to say a solid starter for a couple of reasons. One. She's already pretty much been a solid starter. I think towards the end of her rookie season, she was pretty dependable out there. I'm very wary of bad knee injuries, maybe more wary than I should be, but like she lost like a year of progress on her development, more than a year now. So I kind of want to, I'm hesitant about calling her a star. I think she needs to also improve as a, as like a defender and maybe rebounder as well, considering her, her frame. I mean, she's, She's a pretty physical, she can be a physical player, I think. She just needs to go out there and do it for 40 minutes or however long she's going to be playing for. I'm hesitant on calling her a, a potential star before she can prove to be more than just a shooter. And I think she has it in her, but for now, I'm going to say solid starter. Uh, how about Kathleen Doyle? Okay, Kathleen Doyle, I said low-end rotation player because to me, it would have been, she's currently a player who I think was either the 11th player or the 12th player on this roster. Like Stephanie Mavongo is temporarily, her contract is temporarily suspended. She sustained a plantar fascia injury back in, I think she was playing in France during this, this past offseason. She, she hurt her foot, so she's not going to be healthy to start the season. But like when she comes back, you're going to need to cut somebody. And I think Kathleen Doyle is one of the players you're looking at for cutting. So I can't call her like a, a solid rotation player if she's one that's, that's likely to be cut when somebody comes back, you know? I liked her game in college, but I think she's, not a very high ceiling player. And I don't see many spots for her, like as a backup, like she's going to be a backup point guard and that's pretty much it. So I don't see many spots in the WNBA that are currently open for a player like her. And for that reason, I cannot call her a solid rotation player at this time. She just strikes me as a type of player who's going to be in a lot of training camps. Where, where do you see this team sort of finishing out 2020? I still don't think they're a playoff team. I think they're closer than they were last season for sure. Just because McCollin's going to be playing a full season as a starter and you're hopefully going to get Vivian's back. And maybe if year three, Kelsey Mitchell, you know, year three point guard happens that could get them into the playoffs. But I mean, they're clearly better than Dallas and New York. I think we can both agree on that, but I think they're still worse than the vast majority of the league. And they're just a year out as far as development of their important young players. And just a lot of question marks, especially defensively. What about you? I agree with you that I think they're definitely better than Dallas and New York, or at least looking at it now, I would put them ahead of Dallas and New York. I have them in my fourth tier, you know, Dallas and New York are the two teams in the fifth tier. So I have them kind of in the same neighborhood as Phoenix and Minnesota. 
And they obviously don't have the top end talent, at least not right now, as those two teams, you know, obviously with uh, Griner and Skylar Diggins Smith. And, you know, we'll see what we get out of Diana Taurasi and then Sylvia Fowles and, and who knows if um, Odyssey Sims will play, but Nafisa Collier as well. But, you know, I just think that this team has less roster holes, you know, up and down the roster than, than Phoenix and Minnesota does. They're just a way more complete team. So a lot of it hinges on the progress of Tierra McCowan, you know, what she kind of shows as a defender. If Erica Wheeler can keep up what she did last season, you know, what they get out of the small forward position. I don't think it's, you know, out of the realm of possibility that they kind of end up in, in the bottom feeding tier, maybe even worse than the league if everything goes wrong for them. But I think they'll be with Phoenix and Minnesota sort of fighting for the last playoff spot. Would you be surprised to see them somehow get into like the sixth seed? Yeah, I would, I would be surprised if they made okay. it to the sixth seed, but I wouldn't be shocked if they made it to the eighth seed. Okay, that's fair. Just in terms of their, you know, rebuild, what do you see sort of as, as kind of steps they need to, like what, what's really stopping this team from actual contention? Is it roster upgrades or just internal improvement? I could see a little bit of both. Like I could say internal improvement. It'd be really good if Tiffany Mitchell came back and is suddenly a 37% three-point shooter, but that's, that's probably not going to happen. Or like Kennedy Burke is, is going to hit 38% of her three-pointers on, on good volume. So I would say roster construction just because they still don't have a lot of shooting. I'm not sure Candice Dupree is like a starting caliber power forward at this point in her career. And if she is, like, it's, it's pretty limiting, I feel like. But, I mean, you're right, on the, you're right on the depth, but only because, like, their starters, a lot of their starters don't have very high ceilings, I want to say. And obviously that's no disrespect intended, but I, I still think they're lacking, like, another really good scoring wing player. And then maybe they might be a little thin in the post until Mavunga comes back. Like, unless you want to play some small ball and maybe put Vivians at the four or Burke at the four. But uh, scoring on the wing is and shot creation on the wing is still my primary concern. Here's well, they have, I mean, they have two power fours and two centers that should play considerable minutes, you know, between Dupree, Cox, and McCown and Achanwa. How, how much do you really need a, a fifth big to be playing minutes? To be playing minutes, if, if everyone's healthy, no. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, they are maybe an injury away from disaster. So one other thing that we, we didn't necessarily prepare for, but I did kind of want to ask you, do you think Candace Dupree, like, is she done as a player? Can she still contribute to, I mean, I, I guess, like, do you expect her to finish the season on this team? Do you think she could contribute to a, a contending team in a lesser role? I'll answer your question with a question. Which contending team is she going to play a significant role on? And this is, this is the thing. Like, Candace Dupree, don't get me wrong. She's had a tremendous career. She's really been an amazing player in that she, she's gone. She went from, like, a, a number one scoring option in Chicago to a really, really, really good complimentary player in Phoenix, then this player who's kind of being charged with the veteran leadership role on, on a rebuilding team. And she's had, like I said, an amazing career. But at this point, looking around the league, like look at her game. Who is this going to help put over the hump, you know? Even if she comes in as like a reserve power forward for a contending team, she's going to pick and pop from, from 18 feet up. I mean, As do you think she would make a difference for, say, a Chicago? Honestly, no, I don't. Uh, because what does Chicago need her for? Like, she's not going to be, she's not going to defend anybody that well. She's not going to rebound the basketball that well. That's what Chicago needs. Chicago doesn't need any more. Okay, I'm going to hold the comments about the long two pointers, but I don't think Candace Dupree has much to offer a really good contending team, even even the team with not a lot of depth in the post, because her what she's good at is not really a highly valued skill. Does that make sense? Sure. I mean, yeah. I, I think if it's uh, if it's a bench role, I think she she maybe does still have a little bit to give. You know, I'd probably rather have her than Teresa Plaisance or, or something like that for you know Connecticut or something. But okay. you're right in that 
it really has to be the right opportunity. You know, there are a lot of teams where maybe she would not bring as much as she takes away, but for a team that's really maybe starved for offense on the second unit, you know, I think she could maybe give you that. And, and this, this is something I, I kind of want to bring up like this train of thought here. Do you think there's a, there's a possibility that Candace Dupree like isn't starting on this team at any point in the season? I mean, yeah. Right. I mean, you just drafted Lauren Cox with the third pick in the draft. I mean, maybe they do just kind of give her like a ceremonial start, but I have a hard time seeing her closing 34 games to be sure. Okay. So close. So like, we'll go back to like the, the, the question about a rebuilding team or, or, or a young player who we talked about this about uh, Ezra Stevens on the Chicago episode. If Candice Dupree is still starting at the end of the season, that's probably not great. Right. Yeah. I could agree with that, but it, it's, I, I would say it probably would speak less even to Lauren Cox's development than, you know, just Candace Dupree's stature as a, as a player, you know, 15 okay. years deep in this league. Okay, that's fair. But yeah, I mean, I think we can both agree that Candace Dupree is on her way out. Uh, in fact, like, I, Indiana should probably look into trading her. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, she's, I think she's, a, as I was just saying, probably still has something to give, but also maybe serves little to no purpose on this team other than being one of 10 quality rotation players and, and serving as just one piece of, of having good depth and can hopefully provide the second unit with some offense. Sure. Oh, anything else you wanted to touch on? That's all I've got. Is there anything from you? No, I think we're good. Yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of see where this team goes. I think I might be a little bit higher on them than, than some other people, you know, thinking that they have a chance maybe to make the playoffs. You know, an outside shot to be sure, but... All right, so as usual, uh, thank you everyone so much for listening. It's Eric Amtok for Stephen Trinkwald, Double Down WBA. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Google Play. We are on Twitter at Double Down WNBA or our individual accounts, if for whatever reason you want to tweet at us, at Trinkwald or at Namchak E. You can give us a review, maybe a subscribe if you deem us so worthy. Stephen, anything you'd like to add? Nope, just please subscribe, rate, review, and thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. Please be well. Please be healthy. Please be safe. Thank you so much, everybody.